Christmas hymn they chose to feature for Joseph's story is Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. In, in, in the video, uh, he sang the first verse to that song. And when we're done with our service today, uh, with the sermon, we're going to sing that whole song. But I want you to hear, before we even get to the end of the sermon, I, I want you to hear the second verse to this song. Because the second verse of Come Now Long Expected Jesus, I think, shines the light brightly on Joseph's story, a part of his story that I think is going to be really, really helpful to us in our everyday lives. Listen to the lyrics to the second verse of Come Now Long Expected Jesus. Born thy people to deliver. So Jesus, we know, born to deliver his people, born a child, and yet, get this part, born a king. A king has authority. A king reigns. A king rules. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thy own eternal spirit, listen to this part, rule in our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. These lyrics, I think, paint a very vivid picture of Jesus as king, as the one who should reign in our lives, the one who should rule our hearts. And that's what we see in Joseph's life story. When we look at his story this morning, we are going to see a life of obedience, not forced obedience like the Roman government was was pressing on him to have to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and he obeyed. But what we see demonstrated in Joseph's life towards God is this obedience towards God, God, but it comes from a heart of faith, a heart of faith. And we're going to look at three scenes from Joseph's life together that show us this obedience in his life that came, that flowed from a heart of of faith. We're going to get to see what that looks like. So if you would, please join me in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to take a look at three different moments, three different scenes from Joseph's life in this Christmas story. And that's what I want you to look for. Where do we see in this scene his obedience and where is it, where's it flowing from? Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 is where we will start. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. That was a story we looked at last week. If you missed it, go back and watch it sometime this week online. Verse 19. Joseph, her fiancé, her betrothed, was a good man. He was a righteous man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement or divorce her quietly. That's what he planned to do. In his mind, that made the most sense. He doesn't want to hurt Mary, but he doesn't think that he can move forward in this relationship, so he's processing, how do I handle this? What's the right way to deal with this? And that was his plan. That's what he wanted to do. And verse 20 says, As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. It had a message from 
God. Here's the message. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary as his wife. He did not have sexual relations with her until their, uh, her son was born. Joseph named him Jesus. Joseph obeyed God out of a heart of faith. This required faith to believe this message from God. The next scene in the story is the scene of the Magi uh, coming from the east, and, and they visit Herod. They bring the gifts to Jesus. We're going to look at that story later on in our series. But that's what happens next, and then we, we push past that to verse 13, because we're focused on Joseph today. After the wise men were gone, remember they brought the, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, this whole really amazing scene from the Magi. After that was all done, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in another dream. Here's the message from God. Get up. Now, when is this happening? It's at night. They're sleeping in the middle of the night. Get up and flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. Why? You need to stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Verse 14 is really important. The next two words, that night Joseph left for Egypt. What's that tell us? That tells us that Joseph didn't wait till morning. He got up immediately and obeyed God. That night, Joseph left for Egypt. Imagine that, getting up in the middle of the night, gathering whatever it is you, you can gather, uh, getting your, your, your wife, your baby son, you know, getting all these things put together and heading off in a secret travel to another country. But that's what he did. And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. The next verse tells us that Herod was furious, and the next scene is, is just an absolute terrible scene of death, of murdered children. We push past that. We'll come back to it in just a moment, but we get into verse 19. Herod died. Herod died, and an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph while he was in Egypt. What's the message from God? Get, get up. I don't know why this keeps happening at night. Get up. I wonder if he wondered that. Lord, you could, you could come talk to me during the day. That would be okay. Get up. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. And so Joseph got up. 
Do you see a pattern in Joseph's life of obedience? He got up. He returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. Now, verse 22, when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Why? Well, the scene that I alluded to right before this one, Herod not wanting to lose his power, the Magi tell him about this king that had been born, and the thing that Herod lusted after the most, the thing that Herod loved the most in this world, the only thing that mattered, mattered to Her- Herod was power, unwilling, unwilling to yield that power, was willing to murder children and, and sent word out to, to take children from their parents and, and to kill them. It's, 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 it's hard to even imagine that. Fast forward, Herod dies. His son wants to take over. But in the Roman Empire, he can't just step in uh, to that role. There's people above him that have to make those decisions. But he wants to solidify himself in that position of power because power is what matters. And so Archelaus was doing certain things to position himself as the authority figure as, uh, to, to, to make sure that he was the one that was chosen for this uh, position of power. And so he started doing some political things with the people in Jerusalem and they were, uh, they were trying to leverage the situation as well. Uh, we want some lower taxes. We'll support you if you do this. All these kinds of things were happening. And at one point, Archelaus was like, you know what? I'm in charge. And I'm going to show you I'm in charge. And so he sent some military uh, guys down to the temple uh, just to uh, kind of demonstrate his authority and his power. And it did not go well. The people at the temple stoned those guys And that did not go sit well with Archelaus, so he sent the whole brigade. 3,000 Jews died at the temple that day. Why is Joseph afraid to go home? Well, this is why. Because like father, like son, anything, anything to hold on to power. After being, jumping back into verse 22, after being warned in a dream, another dream, he left for the region of Galilee, so he didn't go back to Judea. He went to Galilee, and so the family went and lived in a town called, oh, we re- remember this, Nazareth, full circle, full circle. And this fulfilled what the prophet had said, he will be called a Nazarene. Over and over and over, we see Joseph demonstrating obedience to God from a heart of faith. Just pause and, and, and think about the reality of what Joseph was dealing with through all of this. In our modern context, we are absolutely disgusted, heartsick by what Hamas has done to innocent people and what they continue to do with hostages, one of which I saw in the news is like 10, 11 months old, a baby. It's disgusting, it's terrible. But thankfully, in our modern context, Israel is able to fight back against evil. When Joseph was caring for his family, he couldn't fight back against Herod. He wasn't able to fight back against Archelaus. He had to trust, he had to have faith in God to care for him, to protect him and his family. 
And we just see that obedience all throughout his story. He obeyed God when it was uncomfortable. And the whole thing happened with Mary and, and, and the virgin pregnancy, the miracle pregnancy. That didn't make him comfortable at all. And he had a plan for how he wanted to handle that. But he obeyed God out of a heart of faith. He obeyed God when it was not what he wanted to do. We go back to his story and see he had a plan. In his mind, as he thought through what was the best way to handle all of this going on with Mary and this pregnancy, he had a plan that made sense to him. But it's not what God wanted him to do. But he obeyed God's plan. And he did so from a heart of faith. When, uh, when I look in, in these different scenes about having to leave in the middle of the night and go to Egypt, and then you're coming home, and, and the guy that just took over for the really bad guy is just as bad, all of these things would have been, I think, scary. Hard. They, 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 they all required sacrifice. You don't just pick up in the middle of the night and take everything you own, do you? You have, to, you have to take what you can grab and go, and then you reestablish maybe some sense of normalcy in Egypt, and then you've got to do it all over again. This was not easy. But he obeyed from a heart of faith, just consistently obeying God. And I, I, I look at Joseph's life, I look at these scenes, and it raises the question for you and for me, do we consistently obey God from a heart of faith? And I'm not asking if, if God sends angels to your house with a message of what to do in life. I'm not, I'm not asking if God gives you dreams with a message from God on what to do in life. We already have his message. We already have his word. It's right here in our hands. My question is, do we consistently obey God from a heart of faith? And let me expand that question. Are there days when... If you were being honest, you would say, you know, I wish I was more consistent. Uh, it's not that I'm a murderer, but there are days when I look at my life and I look at my choices and I, I just, I wish, I wish I was more consistent in obeying God. I wish that my motive for obeying God was out of a heart of faith, not out of, you know, some weird twisted up sense of guilt or, or like, like I feel like I'm being forced into doing these things for God just because what, nothing weird like that. Just have a heart of faith. Are there days when you wish you were more consistent in that? I look at Joseph's example and I, I, I see how he just consistently in the hard things is obedient to God. And I think the reason why he was able to be consistent in obedience through the hard things is because Joseph was consistently obedient to God in the normal everyday things. Why do I think that? Well, I think that we're going to go back to verse 19. Chapter 1, verse 19. What's it say there? Joseph was a righteous man. Well, how do you get that? How do you get that title? <laughs> that, that tells me something about his everyday life. That tells me that on a, on a consistent daily basis, Joseph was just obeying God and just the everyday normal thing, things of life. And so this was just his norm. The situation is not a, a normal situation, but obedience to God was his norm. He did it every day. 
And he did so out of a heart of faith. His example of, of consistently obey, obeying God from this heart of faith. When I, when I was reading through that example and thinking about it, just from a practical standpoint, it reminded me of a passage from the New Testament, James chapter 1. You might know this passage. You can look at it with me. James chapter 1, verse 22. Let me read it to you. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. You're only deceiving yourself. For if you, if you listen to the word of God and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, if you do what it says, if you don't forget what you heard, ah, now, now God will bless you for doing it. We are not to deceive ourselves into thinking that, that listening, just being a, a hearer of the word of God, just being a, a pew warmer that shows up to a worship service once a week is enough. No, God wants us to be doers of the word. To be obedient, is, it, it, if we're going to be obedient consistently in our lives, in our everyday lives, it's not enough to come and listen to a sermon. It's not enough to be a learner throughout the week and study the Word of God so you know what it says, which is a great first step. The next step that actually translates into obedience is to be a doer of the Word. I, I love my wife. I love my wife, and if I am, am truly, if, if I truly love my wife, then it's not enough for me to just to say it. I've got to do something about it. That makes sense, right? I need to demonstrate love. I can't just uh, say those words. If I truly love her, I need to demonstrate my love for her. Well, how do I do that? I've got to figure that out. And one of the ways that uh, I can, you're getting ahead of me. I don't know who said it, but you got ahead of me there. Uh, one of the ways I can demonstrate love for my wife is to be helpful to her. Well, how can I be helpful? You see, we've got to think through this. I can read the scripture and learn. The Bible says, love your wives. All right. Well, how do I do that? I need to be, I think, helpful to my wife. That's a good way to demonstrate. Well, how can I be helpful to my wife? Well, one of the ways I can be helpful to my wife is to take care of my own dirty clothes, take care of my own dirty dishes, Right? Most women, I think, would think, yeah, that's helpful to do that. But here's what I've noticed. I have noticed that, that my wife, every once in a while, has to remind me that the clothes don't belong on top of the hamper. That the dirty dishes don't belong on top of the counter instead of in the dishwasher. If I truly want to be helpful to my wife and demonstrate love towards her in that way, then I need to put my dirty clothes into the hamper. Then I have completed the task. I need to put my dirty dishes into the dishwasher. Now I have completed the task. It's not enough to just set those things 
in the general area, pile them up around the hamper, pile them up on top of the, the counter. She still has to do all those things. It's not helpful. I guess maybe I've saved her some steps. I don't know. And in a similar way, if, we, if, if you and I want to please God, we have to be more than just hearers of the word. That's, that's only half done. We have to be doers of the word. We can't stop it being listeners. We can't stop it being learners. That's like leaving the dishes on the counter. We, are, we, we cannot call ourselves obedient to God until we actually do something about what we have heard, about what we have learned. And this is where a heart of faith comes in. God may discipline us for our disobedience because he loves us and he doesn't want us to stray too far. So yes, God may discipline us for our disobedience, but God does not force us to obey. God wants our obedience to come from a heart of faith. Faith that believes that God is on the throne and not you and not me. That's why I love that song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. It describes Jesus Christ as king, the one who reigns, the one who rules. Is that how you see Jesus? Well, that comes from a heart of faith. Faith that believes that Jesus is king and I'm not. Faith that believes that God loves us and wants to protect us from the, from the destructive forces of sin. We, we read and we learn, okay, these are the boundary lines that God has set. These are the things that he has said uh, that we need to live inside of this. Well, uh, a heart of faith believes that God has done that because he loves us. Not because he's trying to ruin our fun. Faith believes that God knows what is right and God knows what is wrong. And so where do we go for moral clarity? We go to his word. By faith believing that God knows more than I do. By faith believing that God, ready? God knows more than you do. When I want moral clarity on what is right and what is wrong, where do I need to go? It's not my feelings. My feelings are not trustworthy. My emotions are not trustworthy. It's not social media, I can tell you that. It's not celebrities. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's not politicians. It is the word of God. And I just kind of a, a side note for you. When people try to convince you that your faith has no place in the public debate over what is right and what is wrong, kindly ask them, don't be rude, but kindly ask them, oh, uh, where then, where then should we go to find moral clarity? Is our culture uh, is public opinion where we should go to find moral clarity? Then explain to me why it is that we have people, not just on the other side of the ocean, who believe that what Hamas did is justified. We have people in our country gathering together in major cities and, and angrily proclaiming that Hamas was justified in murdering people 
in taking uh, women and children uh, and, and grandmothers hostage, like, and, and they were justified in doing it. That's, that's what they're claiming. Should I? Should I? I mean, that's their opinion. It's, it's, it's part of the culture. Is that, should I go there? No. I'm not going there for moral clarity. Where do I go? Should I go to, to some government authoritative figure for moral clarity? How about the person that you're talking to? Maybe they are the authority of moral clarity. Probably not. Maybe it's the person who sits on the seat of power. You see where I'm going. Where, where, where can we go to find moral clarity that we can be confident in? You're holding it. My point is this. Our biblical worldview has a lot of value to add to the public debate over what is right and what is wrong because we have truth that comes from God. Now, not everybody's going to want to hear it. I understand that. I'm just saying we have a lot of value to add to the conversation. But even if you have a biblical worldview, if you have faith that God is the one who sits on the throne, that God is the one who knows what is right and what is wrong, then that God wants to protect us from the destructive power of sin. Even if you fully believe all of that, why then do we sometimes still not obey God? Why do we sometimes still stop at being a hearer Instead of also being a doer, why do we do that? And I'm not talking about someone who's not a follower of Jesus, someone who has not yet repented of sin, someone who has not yet trusted Jesus as their forgiver, as their savior. And by the way, if you have not decided to be a follower of Jesus, okay, why would I be shocked that you're not following Jesus? Now, I hope and pray that will change. Every believer in this room hopes and prays that that will change because that's what this Christmas message is all about. It's, a, it's, a, it's the story, it is the message from God to you that he loves you so much he sent his only son to rescue you from sin. Jesus left the glory of heaven to become a sinless sacrifice on the cross to appease the wrath of God against our sin and then he rose from the dead three days later he made it possible for you and I to be forgiven of sin to have a transformed life by the same resurrection power that raised him from the dead our dead souls can be brought to life through faith in Jesus Christ in him alone and I hope and I pray that if you have not yet taken that step of faith, that today will be the day. But if you're not living a Jesus-centered life because you haven't chosen to trust Jesus, I get that, I understand that. Now I'm asking this question of those of us who know Jesus. I'm asking that question of those of us who know Jesus as our Savior, who claim him as our Lord. Why, why are there times when we don't obey? You know, sometimes it's just because 
we don't bother with step one. They'll listen to the word of God. We don't know what God wants us to do because we're not listening. We're just doing our own thing. We're making our own rules. Sometimes it's because we know what it says. We've heard it. We don't want to do it. Sometimes it's just stubbornness or, or apathy, or you can fill in the blank with some other reasons, but we put our own desires above God's will, above God's word. Maybe it's because we don't fear him or respect him as the king. Whatever the reason, there are times when we make choices as if we sit on the throne and not Jesus. If we are truly followers of Jesus, though, right, this is probably going to blow your mind because you follow me. If we are truly followers of Jesus, the goal should be to follow Jesus. What? Yeah. If I claim to be a follower of Jesus, I need to follow Jesus. I need to live a Jesus-centered life. I need, I need to be a doer of the word. So what does that look like to obey God consistently from this heart of faith that we've been talking about? Well, I want to give you three very simple, practical steps on this pathway to becoming a consistent doer of the word. If that's the goal, and I think it should be our goal to be a consistent doer of the word, how do we get there? Let me give you three simple, practical steps on this pathway to becoming a consistent doer of the Word. Here you go. Number one, first step, it starts with a humble heart that surrenders to God. A humble heart that surrenders to God. Humility is the heart of faith we've been talking about that says, I'm not the king. He's the king. And so I'm going to in faith, I am going to humble my heart. I'm going to surrender my life to the king. He's in charge, and I'm not. It starts there. It's what we saw in Joseph's life. It didn't matter what God wanted him to do. Sometimes it was uncomfortable. Sometimes it didn't match up with his plans or his desires. Sometimes it cost him something. But Joseph humbled himself. Before God, he obeyed God with a humble heart of faith in God. And if, we, if you and I refuse to humble ourselves before God, if we don't have a heart of faith to believe that, that God knows more than I do, that he's the king and I'm not, if, if that's not our heart of faith, if we can't humble ourselves and surrender ourselves, how in the world do you expect to get to steps two and three on this pathway of becoming a consistent doer? of the word. You've already short-circuited the pathway. So we start with a humble heart, believing that he's the king and we're not. Step two on this pathway to a consistent life of, of obedience, being a doer of the word. Step two, we gotta listen to the word. You're not gonna know what to do if you don't listen to the word of God. And, and that can take all kinds of different forms. We're doing that right now together. We are collectively, we are listening to the word of God. We can do that in our grace groups. We can do that in our personal devotions. Uh, sometimes uh, if you've got 
a, a, a really good book from a, a solid Christian author. We can learn a lot of good things uh, from some of these Christian authors that are out there. And I can take a lot of different forms as we, as we study the Word of God together or in our own personal time throughout the week. So step two is, is really important. We, we have to decide that we are going to be a listener, that we are going to be a learner. If, if we're unwilling to learn, if we're unwilling to listen, well, what's the likelihood that we're going to be a doer if we're not willing to be a listener, if we're not willing to be a hearer? So we humble ourselves. He's the king. I'm not. I'm going to listen. I want to hear the word of God. I want to learn. I want to be a learner. And now we're ready for step three. Step three is that we've got to make a decision. We have to determine in our hearts, I am going to be a doer. I am going to be a doer of the word. It's, it's, it's not enough to, to, to learn and to listen and to have a lot of good information. I have to determine that when I come across something uncomfortable, when I come across something I don't like, that I don't want to do, or that there's something here that I do want to do, and God's saying, no, that's out of bounds. I have to determine that he's the king and I'm not, and I'm going to be a doer. You know, sometimes being a doer of the word means that we don't do something. Now, I'm not trying to confuse you, but sometimes being a doer of the word means that we don't do something, that that God has said, this is out of bounds. These are the guardrails that God has set for us. Don't step over. Don't break the law. Don't get drunk. Don't drop F-bombs in your angry rants. Don't cross the line of sexual purity either in the mind or the body. We could go on. There are guardrails, there are boundary lines that God has set for us, and he says, don't, don't step over. And in, not, in, in, in being obedient to the don't, we are being a doer of the word. You following? I know I'm kind of jumping back and forth between the two words. Sometimes being a doer means we don't do something. Sometimes being a doer requires a little more thought and effort. There are some things about being a doer of the word that are simple, they are straightforward. They're easy to do because you want to do them. And it's not uncomfortable. But then there are other things that require a little more thought. A little more effort. Maybe some self-sacrifice. How about this? Sharing your faith. We know that Matthew 28 tells us to make disciples. That's not just for pastors, that's for all of us. Make disciples. That requires us to share our faith. All right, well, that's going to require a little effort. That's going to require a little thought. How do I do that? How do I do that effectively? That's going to require a little courage. How about the verses that talk about be generous? All right, well, be generous. What does that mean? I got I to figure that out. I got to think through that. Uh, I've got to probably make plans and provisions for that. Uh, I'm probably going to have to have a little self-sacrifice to do that. Love your wife. Respect your husband. All right, well, that's pretty simple. I guess it's pretty straightforward, but what's that look like? How do I actually live that out every day? It has to be something more than words. 
hearts. I've got to put some thought into that one. I've got to put a little effort into that one. I'm probably going to have to put aside some selfishness. I'm probably going to have to put some uh, pride aside out of my life in order to do that one, to be a doer of the word. How about this one? Pray for your enemies. Forgive those who have hurt you. Oof. That's not one that we typically want to do. We don't get up in the morning and like, you know what I want to do today? Man, I want to just go through the day and, and bless all my enemies. And that's, that would be amazing. But that's what we're called to do. And so that's probably going to require a little thought. How do I actually do that? How, how do I actually, how do I fulfill what Jesus is, is, is asking of me, that commanding me? It's probably going to require a little thought and effort. A ton of prayer. Amen? A ton of prayer. But think about the pathway we've just described. Humble our hearts in an expression of faith. He's the king, I'm not. Humble our hearts. We've got to listen. We've got to listen to God's word. We've got to be learners. And we do that from a heart of faith because it's a heart of faith that believes that this is the word of God. It's a heart of faith that believes that this has authority over my life because it is the word of God. That requires faith. And then the third step, I've got to actually determine in my heart, I'm going, I'm going to be a doer. I'm not just going to be satisfied to be a listener, a learner. Well, that comes from a heart of faith too. It's a simple pathway. And it will lead us to consistent obedience, but it's rooted in faith. And thankfully, I know it sounds, you know, as we play, kind of lay all that out, it sounds hard, and it, it, it definitely can be. But thankfully, you know what we have as believers? As an advantage, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And the Holy Spirit is where we get all the spiritual power that we need to go from step one to step two to step three and being consistent doers of the word. We have the Holy Spirit to help us with that. Aren't you thankful for that? If I was left to my own, man, we, we'd be in trouble. I'd be in trouble. Joseph consistently obeyed God from a heart of faith. I love his story. And guys, we can do that. If, there, if you look at the pathway and there's, there's part of the pathway that you would say, oh boy, I'm a little... I'm, I'm coming up a little short on this one. All right, let's work on it this week. Let's pick one of those. Pick one of those areas and, and just ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, I, I need your help. I need your help with this step. I need your help to move from here to here. I need you to help me. And just start praying over that this week.